You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. I have returned from subspace. <laughs> Alan Seiler. Thank you, Charles. You are an unending source of astonishment. And Veronica Dashel. Hi. And this is our 100th episode. Woo-hoo! 100! I know. Yeah, and welcome back, Keith. We've missed you. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. We we would not be able to do a 100 without you. That's right. Yeah, I'm glad I was able to make it back finally, guys. It's been a journey. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, I'm so sorry. Well, do you have any This Week in Trek this week? I do. Got a couple of things um, pretty much all pertaining with the original series. And I brought them up because these are these a couple of these are seminal, one for good and one for bad. On December 27th, 1966, the final draft was turned in and film primary filming was ready to start for a little episode called A Taste of Armageddon. Hey, (laughs) which has been much in discussion lately. Yes. And Alan, that's anyone would rate it highly. Yes, I know, right? (laughs) Who who wouldn't? (laughs) Right. Yes. And that's one reason I wanted to bring this up because um, what our good friend Matt and Matt and Elaine Sweatman have been doing with uh, rating the um, original series shows, this one didn't rank as highly as some people thought. Matt says, ha. (laughs) Who'd have thought a Mm. taste of Armageddon would be the big contentious episode of his rating? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. But yes. such just a, just an incredible classic episode. I mean, and, and it's it's so forward thinking. I mean, it's it's a whole thing about computers taking over because this this is computers are fighting a war. It is honestly, it is chilling, but kind of eminently logical. Like, why not? If you can keep having a war and keep fostering your hate, but your civilization goes on, that's revolting. Kirk found it revolting, but you know, let's be honest, there'd be societies that would do that. Why not keep killing people and keep your society? It's a powerful show. Powerful show. Yep. Yep. Then, this is funny. On the flip side, on December 30th in 1968, the final draft was finished for. And then two days later, principal filming began on Turnabout Intruder. Oh, the last episode in the entire franchise. Yeah, yeah. And as probably as polar opposite in terms of positive messages and mm. what is considered to be a good show. And of course, for those who may not know, that's the one where Kirk's old girlfriend switched bodies with him because no matter what anybody says, folks, this is what Roddenberry intended at that time. And that time when he wrote this script, he was saying that women could not serve as captains in Starfleet. That's the show. The reason I bring that up is over the decades, people have retconned that to say that Janice Lester being crazy, it was her who couldn't be a captain of Starfleet, not all women. And in her paranoia, she pretended that it was her. That's not the case. Um, yep. 
Not a good episode. Uh, and I actually found an interview with Shatner and Nimoy a few years later where they said that they went to Roddenberry and told him they were unhappy because that script definitely indicated that women could not serve as captains in Starfleet at that time. Mm. So it's an ugly thing. It's a frustrating thing that a man as progressive as Gene still had that little bit of sexism in him, but it is what it is. And it's also as bad as the show is. I remember the really horrible scene where William Shatner sitting in his quarters, literally filing his nails as McCoy is trying to talk to him. And that's such a cringy scene. (laughs) It's terrible. Yeah. 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 (laughs) <laughs> I want to add to that. <laughs> and the last thing we have, um, sad news. I, I, I got away from doing deaths and so forth, but we do birthdays. And we have a really important one. And that was yesterday, correct, Alan? December 28th? That's right. The nine, 90th birthday of one Nichelle Nichols. Yeah. Yes. One of the greatest human beings ever produced by our race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you okay. have some words to say, Alan, about well, yeah, that? Well, uh, look, you've we, looked at some things. Yeah, well, this is something that's um, kind of newsworthy, and it's kind of a big mm-hmm. thing, and I'm really excited about it. So yesterday, on Nichelle Nichols' 90th birthday, they launched the Nichelle Nichols Foundation on... Uh, what would be her 90th birthday? The foundation's goal is to continue Nichelle's legacy of increasing inclusivity in STEAM education. So I'm sure most people are familiar with STEM, which is an acronym that stands for science, technology, engineering, and math. And STEAM adds the A, an art component to that. Mm -hmm. The flagship project for the foundation will be the Nichelle Nichols Cadet Space Camp. Starting in 2024, the foundation will send young students chosen from worldwide locations to space camp in Huntsville, Alabama, where they will learn to, quote, work as a team and confront mission scenarios that require dynamic problem solving and critical thinking. 21st century learning skills required in the workplace. Nichelle's younger sister, Marion, is the president of the foundation, and she said, quote, Education is the gateway to dreams, and our young people are our future. Thank you, Whitney Houston. With Nichelle Nichols as our guiding star, we continue the mission to make an impact in young people's lives and create a path for STEAM-related education and careers. The Nichelle Nichols Foundation will advance her dream to inspire future generations who will shape our world in the image of Star Trek and its philosophy of infinite diversity in infinite combinations, a world that is diverse, kind, and peaceful. And I can think of nothing better to honor the legacy of a woman like Nichelle than launching this kind of endeavor that is all about diversity and inclusivity and furthering space exploration. And I think it's absolutely amazing. Yeah. So. Uh, If you want to learn more about the Nichelle Nichols Foundation, their partnerships and advisors, and you can also donate, visit their website at nichellenichols.foundation. Okay. That sounds like a great initiative. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, it is. It really is. And I always find it so... I'm sorry, I always find it so fascinating that this is a woman who we talked about was going to quit the show because one episode you heard her say hailing frequencies open, and that's almost all she says. And yet she took 
the opportunities that that show gave her and did something with it. Because she could have just said, whatever, you know, that was a job. And look at all the stuff she did outside of Star Trek. That's right. Amazing. That's right. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's take a quick break. If you're listening to the audio podcast and promote a fellow ESO network podcast show, but come right back because uh, we're going to be talking about the, uh, the 100th episode of the Star Trek show. So stay right there. You know it's amazing walking into your favorite bar or coffee shop and running into an author you absolutely love or bumping into an author you've never heard of before but find your new favorite book that's what we do on drinking with authors you get to hear all the stories of what made the author's stories great and how they got there on their journey so grab a drink and join us on drinking with authors talking about redemption first off (laughs) yeah redemption now we didn't quite nail down are we talking redemption two also or just redemption one yeah why not okay good because i like redemption two better (laughs) (laughs) it also seems like one story anyway i mean it is is, is. like how can you talk about part one of a two-parter and not talk about the entire thing because but well the way they did this yeah, the way they did those two parters, though, they would write part one and then mm-hmm. go off for summer break and then come back and write part two. So they weren't they weren't yeah. produced together, a lot right? Of times. But still, part one of this one feels very much like setup for part two all the way through to me. Let me ask: <laughs> did, did everyone did all, did all of y'all watch Redemption first run? Oh yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Okay, Veronica. Yeah, I guess you wouldn't have. Huh? No, <laughs> I wouldn't when, have watched when, any of this first run. <laughs> when do you think you first saw Redemption first run, Veronica? Uh, I have no idea. Um, I know it was one of the ones I'd seen before because I remembered mm-hmm. Tasha Yar coming back and I'd, I've obviously mm-hmm. seen it multiple times since I've been with Chuck, mm-hmm. but, um, I don't remember the first time I saw it. I, I saw it prior to, I ch- saw it pre-Chuck. <laughs> uh, the reason I always wonder is because I know those of us who saw it first run, if you remember every time. A Klingon came on screen in those days. It was something new. Remember the Klingons? They were literally being reshaped and formed mm-hmm. every episode. The whole thing about honor and the stuff with Worf. And so, and I, I was sometimes think for somebody who may just grown up kind of, kind of surrounded by Klingons, and then seeing this probably wouldn't have the impact that it had, mm-hmm. say, for me because I saw it first run. It was just everything was just so new. His brother and the stuff about honor and the and the council. It was. It was amazing at that time when every time, and, and I know what's his name, um, Ronald D. Moore became the Klingon guy. And it was just right. everything about the Klingons then was new and exciting just to see them craft it like that. I want to get two comments really quickly. Matt Sweatman. <laughs> well, first I'm going to, let's, let's do Elaine's first. She did not see it first run. She saw it for the first time last week. And okay. Matt saw the first, the, the two parts over a summer break, like God intended. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> back you when next, mm-hmm. back when next gen was on, like the Klingon episodes were the big mythology episodes. Yeah, that was the big continuing story. Was when the Klingon episodes would crop up, and you find out sort of what happens next. Is next gen had serialized elements, but it was right. very 
very episodic still. We haven't oh, yes. really gotten to the serialization of DS9 yet. And so yeah. it was always exciting for me whenever there was a big Klingon episode. I mean, you'd have Borg mm-hmm. episodes, but they were fewer yeah. and farther between than the Klingon episode. You'd have at least a big Klingon story every season. You're right. It was, And it was always exciting, whether it was Worf doing his little Klingon calisthenics or whatever new weapon he was going to kill somebody with or him babbling about honor and stuff. You're right. It was always exciting stuff. Right. I think that one of the absolute strengths of Next Generation was the way that they embraced and embellished and developed the Klingon society. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, I mean, that is absolute world building in the truest sense. I think that they fleshed yep. out that concept so incredibly well. And th- those are always the highlights for me, even though like every time there's a a, a, a major you know, milestone Klingon episode that tells you, okay, there's going to be a lot of Klingons in it, but it also means that there ain't going to be no Troy and there ain't going to be no Dr. Crusher. You know, they can't think of anything for those people to do in those episodes. (laughs) So at least in this one for the second part, which was the first episode of the following season, all of them were in there, you know, Jordy and, uh, Gates and you know Deanna, they were all in it in a very minor way, but they, yeah. at least they were there. The first half, there's like nothing. They're in yeah. the little lineup at the end when Worf is going off, but you know they didn't right. get apart or anything. Right. Well, one thing I like about the redemption arc, Alan, and I want to follow on what you said is, um, and and, and and Charles, you said too. We talked about they build the myth, the mythology of the Klingons. And one of the things you find out, because Guinan says this to Worf on at least a couple of occasions, Worf not having grown up, grown up in the Empire mythologizes the Empire. He idolizes mm. He idealizes the Empire. Yes. To him, it's all about honor, which is what their own myth mythology tells himself. But what's going on in this show? The Klingons are breaking their own law. Um, Tyrell can, I mean, he cannot be the next rule of the empire. I don't even know if their own laws would allow the illegitimate son of somebody to become the next leader of the empire. But as Picard said, and Picard is not inventing the laws, their own laws say this boy has not fought any battles. He's not shed any blood. So by their own laws, he cannot be the next chancellor. But because he's powerful, they follow him. And I love mm. um, when Guinan was talking to Worf when they were on that weird phaser dot range where they were mm-hmm. shooting at the dots. I love the thing she said, because she has said this to Worf more than once, which is, you need to reconcile what it is to be a real Klingon. You, you're you an idealized Klingon. Like he, like, he basically said Klingons don't laugh. Mm-hmm. She's like, are you kidding? Of course they laugh. They're not just all serious all the time. And I love this show because this show is about the Klingon empire not living up to its own ideals. And somebody like Worf from the outside, and no spoilers, but way in the DS9, you will see this. Somebody like Worf has to remind the empire of its own ideals. While at the same time, he has to realize that the Empire is not ideal. And I love that about those arcs. And I think that Worf essentially being an outsider, Mm -hmm. you know, like he is not part of the Empire. He is part of the Federation. And I think that him being in that position and sort of um, mythologizing, as you say, the, the, mm-hmm. what the empire stands for, he is the one being, being removed from it is the one that's basically the, the true keeper of yeah. the ideals. You know, he's the one yeah. that isn't tainted by the politics that goes on and all that kind of stuff. He has that removed view of this is what we should be. And he's the one who always gets called out for being 
not a true Klingon because he's tainted by human morals and, and, you know, being raised by humans and all this kind of stuff and wearing a Starfleet uniform, but he's the one who keeps that true flame burning. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love I love Worf's line back to Guinan in that scene in the in the firing range when he said maybe I don't feel like other Klingons. Mm. Yeah. You know. Right. Which right. which and that's Worf, you know. He he's right. trying to be the ultimate Klingon and he's so different from all of them. And I love the little bits of Klingon mythology or Klingon sort of culture we get in this, particularly how they're all just drinking and partying together the night before a battle. Tomorrow right. we we'll kill each other, but tonight we're just drinking and singing songs. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and it's great because I'm sorry, it's great because Worf is trying to give um, his brother all these, these reports about the ship, and he's like, "Look, dude, seriously, who cares at this point in time? Get exactly. drunk, <laughs> get drunk, and enjoy yourself." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I want to also point out that this the this episode introduces two of the greatest characters ever and they only it's shocking to look and actually see how few episodes they appear in and that's Lorsa and Bator yep. fantastic characters and I love that sort of the machinations behind the scenes where they're trying to manipulate the scenario and you know position their their foothold and oh my god it's so great until you realize that they're collaborating with Romulans <laughs> that is so fascinating to me, you know, yeah. this whole like governmental, you know, ploy to mm -hmm. uh, th they're doing a thing that, th you know, basically to gain power. But they also want to strengthen the Klingon Emperor, but they're doing it by messing around with Romulus. So good. <laughs> love it. Yeah. <laughs> and I love in this one how it's Picard who's encouraging Worf to go get his honor back. Yeah. Yes. You know? Yeah. yeah he's the one like, yeah, take it from me. Like, go, like, we're going back. Like, you told me that you're going to reclaim your honor. Like, let's do it. We're, we're going there now. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I also love that it's, um, it's Picard who doesn't let him take the steps he wants to take. You know, Worf is like, you told me to get my honor back and I'm doing that by borrowing Federation files on all these things. And, and Picard's <laughs> like, but, you know, that gets us involved in an internal uh, conflict and that's not our job. Right. We are we you are Klingon and I am your Chadich, but we are still Federation and we have to walk those two separate paths mm -hmm. and not let them cross each other. I love yeah, that. I, I love that scene. I like I like the real world politics. And, and obviously, as we talk about this, we're involved in real world politics right now with Russia and Ukraine and possibly China and Taiwan. And I like because if you remember that uh, Galron and Worf made this impassioned plea to Picard, telling him the truth mm -hmm. and the logic, which is the Duras clan wins. You've got a Klingon empire that's alive with the Romulan empire and the balance of power shifted. Mm, that's yeah. true. But even though you know that, as Picard said, and as you're saying, Alan, he can't go to he can't join that war because then yeah. he's taking he's he's getting involved. Yeah. The Federation's involved in a civil war, which could have the Duras declare war against the Federation. So basically, they have to sit back and ultimately do things like what we're doing, supply things, do supplies and stuff like that and mm -hmm. hope that the right outcome happens. That's a scary yeah. thing to have to do. Yeah. 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 I, totally. I love that. I love that scene where when Worf resigns his commission mm. and then sort of has like the honor guard, like 
you know, yeah. as he, it's, it's a big moment as he's leaving, yeah. you yeah. know, and you, I mean, and I mean, I was 11 or something when this came out. So like maybe Worf's not coming back, you know, maybe this is it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. I mean, and the, the, the way it's set up, it could easily have been that, mm-hmm. you know, um, that's kind of where they were at the end of season three when, you know, you weren't sure if Patrick Stewart was leaving the show. So they right. leave, you know, best of both worlds open-ended. I mean, this, this could easily have been the case with this one. And so, you know, you're left with that doubt for an entire summer. Right. <laughs> yeah. What's going to happen. And I think that this was one of the best cliffhangers. Mm. they're they're yeah. two-parters their season ender two-parters were you know they, they were mixed bag but i think this one was a really successful one are especially you talking about... with the... hmm? no i was gonna say especially with that talk go ahead no i was gonna say are you talking about with Worf leaving the enterprise or with tasha with um tasha yar's daughter jumping out of the shadows at the end well that's exactly what i was just about to say with okay. that shadowy figure that that we saw a couple of times throughout the episode, who then steps out of the shadow at the very end, and you're like, "What?" Do you know what's <laughs> weird a is way of surprising you. Yeah. You know what's weird is on my television today when they first showed her in the shadows, I could clearly see her face. Oh yeah, and it was yeah. weird. Uh, I'm not sure why. The other thing I was going to make two co- quick comments is what kind of military is the Federation where you can literally just tell your captain, I quit. And like an hour yes. later, you're in another service. And then like a week later, like, hey, I'm back. Yes. <laughs> I don't know any service on the planet where you that's can just ex- do that. <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to say, too. And I wish we had Vandy Beth on again this week to let <laughs> us know if that's actually a thing that could happen. Yeah. You're I'm gonna go you Russian. have to let us know now. <laughs> right. And the other the other quick thing I was going to say, Ali, you talked about Larson Bator. Uh, my God, and the return of Kern. What mm-hmm. a cool Klingon. Even the way that guy walks. I mean, he yes. stalks yes. when he yes. walks. And yes. I don't know if you noticed, but in the incredibly good opening of the second part of Redemption, when they have the whole battle and they fly into the sun, and he yeah. yells, I, I think it's because of the false teeth, but if you look, there's literally like spittle running down the actor's mouth, I think <laughs> of those false teeth, and it just I, adds to Kern as bloodlust. It I doubt it. <laughs> I bet you it doesn't have anything to do with the false teeth. I bet you it's that's the performance. It's so good. I love it. I love him. I just want to say uh, Tony Todd is yes. phenomenal, but yes. so is Robert O'Reilly. Yes. Oh, gosh. Yes. The Gal. first time that Galron came on screen in an episode, I was like, that it pardon the language that is the most batshit crazy Klingon I have ever seen. Yes. And he freaks me out and I love it. Yes. And man, he is so good. And he's just as good in this one too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he has some I mean, great lines at Worf too. Like uh, I love every single time. I love the scene in the transporter room and Worf says, I would speak with you. And then he says, I don't hear the voice of traitors. And then when Worf tells him what happened, he goes, the council knew. And all of a sudden, because again, he's like, holy crap, they're all against me. Kill them all. (laughs) And when you get an actor who understands the sort of the nuance and the mannerism of a Klingon and they throw themselves into it, man, you get a powerful (laughs) character. So like the guy who's officiating the ceremony was okay, you know? But he ain't no Tony Todd, and he ain't no Robert O'Reilly, and he ain't no <laughs> agreed uh, right. So let me let me get a couple of comments real quick. Um, 
Matt Sweatman says, I noticed for the first time in this viewing that Worf has the spiked gauntlet from Code of Honor in his quarters for some reason. Yeah, he's a hoarder. What okay. can you say? <laughs> Matt I also he, says, I think he practices ways to kill people in his spare time. I think while, like, while he's watching television, he's probably doing stuff. Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, he says, with high def, you could clearly see Denise Crosby in early scenes. In the mind's eye, you could clearly see it wasn't Denise though it was her voice. Interesting, Matt, because I absolutely positively remember on first one watching this, I could not see her face. But today I saw her face clear as day. Well, when you're watching it in 88 or whatever it is, yeah. you know, TVs aren't as high def. And, right. you know, this was, this was also a remastered version. So there's a lot, you know. Uh, let me, okay, let me, wait, we got that one. Did we get? Okay, yeah, we got okay. So his last one is Tony Todd is my favorite Klingon performance of all time. Wow. That's a good one. That's ahead of Dorn, ahead of JG Hertzler, ahead of John Colicos. I'm gonna I'm gonna raise you JG Hertzler, but Tony yeah. Todd, man, you can't argue with that at all. He's he is great. so good. Yeah, so he is good. Whoo. All right. So is there anything about part two that we didn't touch on? I'm sure there is. I'm sure there. I mean, the the biggest thing about part two that I love is Data in Command. Yes, I, I, I think yeah. it's a great little subplot for Data. Yes, absolutely. I love that. I love, that. I love the guy who's like, you know, clearly um, insubordinate. Yes, you know, and and Data ain't gonna take none of his crap, and I love it. Mm-hmm. He's almost like a Boma or Styles, you know, yeah. where he's just the, the jerk you love, and he, but he plays it really well. Yeah. Yeah. Is it me? He comes off with a, almost a Bill Murray vibe. He's so kind of relaxed and chill and laid back. It's like he, uh, but what I like about that, with that, what I like is that, you know, we always talk about how Data has no emotions, but I love the way Data, whatever that is, when he yelled at that guy and frowns at him, whatever it is, he knows how to project it because boy, yeah. he was great with that guy. He slapped his, you know what, down. I, I love the Data line. Oh, I understand. Request denied. That's one of my favorite moments. Uh, I think that the, I think really the blockade good. is a little silly, especially when yeah. the ploy to uh to sidestep it is to like take out a ship and open up a hole in the, the ship they open up is at the edge. Just fly around it for God's right. sake. I mean over. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> I right. think people don't understand three-dimensional uh, fighting. Well, it's the, like the space <laughs> lake. Star Trek often has a space lake where all the ships are on the same right. plane and there's no yes. over. Right. There, but right. Yeah, I Someone needs like to the, watch uh, Read Ender's Game. Right, or watch Star Trek 2. <laughs> yeah. But other than that, man, fantastic. Fantastic two yeah. order. Yeah, Redemption really is good. great. I mean, Next Gen was at a really great place yeah. by this point in, in its series, you know? Yeah. It was firing on all cylinders, man. Mm-hmm. I love right. the I, I love at the end. The last quick thing is when there was Picard had a very quick moment of concern on his face when he wondered would Worf kill Terrell because any other yep. Klingon would have and have the right to for a whole bunch of reasons. And I like what he said. It's not my way. Yeah, that was really. Cool. It is the Klingon way. Well, it's not yeah. my way. Yeah, I mean nobody <laughs> expected him. I didn't expect him to kill. I mean, killing Duras no. was cool enough. Yeah, but Duras had a better reason. <laughs> yeah, he needed to kill. Yeah. 
<laughs> but I was going to say on that on that thing on that same point years later at the end of DS9 when he kills Gowron that I that took me by surprise mm-hmm. but spoiler sorry about that <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to yeah uh, thoroughly I tell you, I thoroughly enjoyed the episodes didn't mm-hmm. I wasn't bored it was it was really good I thoroughly enjoyed redemption yeah mm-hmm. great stuff all right we want to move on to DS9 and talk about the ship yeah. Yes. I thoroughly enjoyed the ship. It okay. bored me. I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say, number wow. one hundred, man. We landed on some really yes. good episodes. Yeah, Absolutely. Yes. Whoo, baby. Uh, let me ask y'all one quick question off front because the whole point of this is the uh, uh, Cisco and crew are on this planet doing a mineral survey, and this Jim Hadar ship crashes. What did y'all think about that? Jeffrey Combs has ruined Vorta for everybody in the story. Yes. Um, but did y'all like her as a Vorta? Did you think she held her own as as a Vorta? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, here. it's fun. Okay. I, I'm going to talk uh, about – there's a thing about this episode. And it's mm-hmm. that uh, exactly one year later, they did the same episode again <laughs> with Rocks and Shoals. Right. Oh, so, another excellent show. Yeah. And and the thing is that, you know, you can basically the, the, the B plot is different because the B plot in Rocks and Shoals, the Dominion War is going on and it's got the B plot of the uh, Vedic who comes on the on the station and throws herself off the ledge oh. and hangs herself to get Kira out of her oh. malaise. Holy, so that is powerful stuff. But the A plot is basically the same thing. And right. both episodes are so good. They work, don't they? They and do. Kind of full circle with this ship. This ship yes. is bad luck. It's gonna yeah. it's gonna hit a planet if you fly in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, what I love about this episode, and there's a lot that I love about this episode, is that you see the danger of being in Starfleet because you see a shuttlecraft and its whole crew just get wiped out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you have a, a casualty um, in the landing party and you, and you, you know, you don't get a lot of backstory or anything, but he's just mm-hmm. likable and you connect with him immediately because he has that rapport with, um, with chief O'Brien and mm-hmm. he dies and it yep. just yeah. tells you this is a dangerous situation. And I think that is so strong. Jumping ahead a bit, when he was hallucinating and started calling O'Brien his father, that, yeah. that tears me up every time. Oh, man. Sorry, so, Monica. I was going to say that I thought O'Brien was kind of being a butthead to him at the beginning. And, like, I can't tell if he's teasing him or if he's really annoyed with him. Or he's what, teasing, he's, I think. Yeah, but it came well, across as being a butthead. And I also realized that same actor was in Redemption as well on the Enterprise. What? Was yeah. he? I didn't realize yeah. that. What? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm pretty, I'm pretty, okay. It looked like the same guy. He had the same beautiful <laughs> arm. He had a Starfleet he, insignia on look, his chest. He was he was he was talking with Miles. There's about a forty five percent chance that's the same actor. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> one 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 thing I will say starting out in the show is I do think that um, I do think Cisco made a mistake here because they're in Dominion territory and he they, and they talk about once they start mining this mineral it'll be a little difficult because of security. 
But Cisco says he was surprised that a Dominion ship came to this planet because it's three weeks away from like the nearest outpost or station. I don't think I don't consider three weeks travel all that far. Mm. And so he yeah. probably should have brought the Defiant in the first place instead of just a little shuttle or I mean, a runabout or whatever. So that was that was a very slight mistake, I think. Right, but, but if the if the nearest outpost is three weeks away and they can get from DS9 to there in like a day and a half, two days, whatever it was, then yeah, that's kind of far away to me. I, yeah, yeah. I'd be more cautious. I'd be more cautious given who they are. But, um, mm. you know, look, me, I'll put it this way. Given what was going on, I wouldn't be going in where it just a runabout. I'd, I'd be taking the fire. <laughs> I'd be taking the fire to go to the true. grocery store, but that's me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I thought, and I, I think what you... Alan, I, th- I think you, I thought you made a good point that I hadn't thought about is you had two episodes a year apart that were the exact same episode, basically, and they had different Vorta. And even yeah. though Jeffrey Combs Wayun is the Vorta, all these Vorta, uh, they all work mm-hmm. in a different way. They're all they get on your nerves. They're so oily and they're so ingratiating. And they just like she says, oh, you're much taller than I thought. You can tell she's kind of vamp trying to vamp him. And she's so smooth. And then when she has the one uh, Jim Hadar sneak aboard the ship, she's like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Can we just reset and start over again? <laughs> yeah, if yeah. Like, can we just give a, pretend I didn't do that? Can I have a she's... do-over? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like her a lot, but I also like the guy who is in uh, Rocks and Shoals as well. I think he's yes. really good. Yep. Right. Um, I wish they would think... the other Vorta more. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love Jeffrey Combs, Agreed. and he should have been the only Vorta in general, but <laughs> uh, they're all. I think they're all good because they show you how they are. They're 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 just, they're just so oily in their program. And I thought it was a really funny scene when she offered him some food, and she yeah. said it's not poisonous. And he said to you, and I remember Jeffrey mm-hmm. Combs. One of the episodes, Wayun said they have been genetically engineered to put, to be almost immune to all poisons. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yes, yeah. yeah that's a good point. Hurt. I didn't think about that. <laughs> Yeah, one thing I love about this episode is just the interpersonal relationships and the conflicts between everybody. Everyone's stressed. Everyone's mad at each other. That that scene where Cisco just sort of snaps everybody back into place. And that that line where he, he, the Dax, Dax, in case you haven't noticed, no one's laughing. And that was was, great. If if he was my boss, I I feel about this big. (laughs) But the thing is, the thing is, Jadzia is usually the only one that that can get away with stuff and that is going to yep. be in step with him and when he snaps at her you yep. know it is serious yeah yeah because oftentimes <laughs> oftentimes alan i will say that when jack when jack zia cracks jokes they actually work some they, i mean oh, yeah. they actually sometimes they they work to defuse the situation to make you laugh exactly. you're right at this point in time he's like no stop with the jokes old man this is this is not <laughs> exactly funny. I also really um, and he didn't even call her old man. He said um, right. Jadzia. <laughs> exactly. If he's not he calling her Dax, by... he said that Jadzia. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um I also really love the uh the conflict between O'Brien and Worf about how to address the dying guys dying. You know, right. I thought that was so interesting. The the yeah. cultural difference, the different perspective on what death means and 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 its finality and its inevitability. I th- I thought that was really really well done. I yeah, felt. I'm... Oh, sorry, go ahead, Charles. <laughs> go ahead, Keith. Dude, I haven't been here for three weeks, so I'm just I'm talking a lot. So <laughs> go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> um, did y'all feel that this is the note I wrote? 
I felt very slightly, it didn't bother me, I felt very slightly that Worf and O'Brien went very slightly a little beyond what I think their normal characters would have been to make mm-hmm. the story work. O'Brien, as the engineer who needed to fix that ship, was spending a whole bunch of time trying to play nursery made to Enrique when his job should have been fixing the ship. So I thought that was a little out of character, even though that was his man. And yeah. I also thought, even though I know how Worf is, I also thought Worf's initial statements of just let him die and tell him, I thought it was just a little callous, even for Worf, how yeah. he yeah. said it. Just mm-hmm. a little bit. That was me. But they are in a situation of extreme duress. You have to make a decision and go. You can't, you know, fart around with, you know, is this guy going to die or not? You have to make that call and move on because they're, you're, you're being attacked. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it was out of place at all. I think that it, in the situation that he was in, I think that is pure Worf. Hmm. See, I think mm. it would have worked a bit better that storyline with Worf, like season one or two of Next Gen, rather than after we've seen him serving with humans for like 10 years. Yeah. Right. Time, like, you he, know? Would, he would know at this point that, that it's not how humans think. Right. And he was a bit callous about it. But I love the drama mm-hmm. that he created between those two Me guys. Too. And, and yeah. like when Worf came on DS9, his first episode, and they remind you that he used to serve with O'Brien. They're old buddies. They serve yes. on the Enterprise. Yeah. Together. And now these old buddies are at each other's throats. Yeah. Hey, uh, did, did um, did I? I was. I kind of looked away when they had their confrontation. Did O'Brien actually physically hit Worf? No. Oh, he just took a swing at him then. Yeah, I no. don't remember him actually hitting Worf. No, I don't remember okay. him swinging at him. Yeah. It was when it, it was when um, it was when Cisco was. Ye- this when the whole thing when they 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 were um, they got in each other's faces and Cisco started yelling at them. I I looked away, no. so I couldn't remember if he hit him or not. No. Okay. If I was O'Brien, I would not hit Worf. No. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. Not a good thing. <laughs> One thing I like um, about this, and this is so obvious and everybody knows this, is if you look at the, listen to the DS9 showrunners, this whole arc, I mean, it just goes on with the whole Dominion War, this show and Rocks and Shoals, as you mentioned, Alan, everything else, you can find a corollary to almost every great World War II movie and show ever done. Mm, because yeah. these guys, every one of these, they were they were they were lifting this from World War II movies and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Because it feels like a World War II movie, yeah. like you said. Yeah. Um, and this time, maybe because of what I've been through recently, but I tell you, I was even feeling I was feeling the like the nervous jitters when they just kept they kept shelling and they kept shelling and they kept yeah. shelling. Yeah. Remember and they kept saying how many isotons of explosions were just raining down on them just over and over. I yeah. felt that, which is what their, their point, the psychological yeah. warfare. Right on. And I think the crew was feeling that too. Cause this episode about mm-hmm. killed everybody because it was over a yeah. hundred degrees and you've got yeah. Jim yes. Hadar and full makeup, like passing out. Yes. And they were, they had a rough time making this show. Right. But yeah. It also, break, it's the thing that also, it reminds me, of how in real life you wouldn't have those same uniforms on field missions. Yeah. Cause you think about those, those, those same uniforms that they're wearing, as you say, in that Valley, in that hundred degree Valley, they wouldn't wear those in field missions out in the field. Right. And so you're right. Uh, and I think, and it's funny that one we talked, you talked about <clears throat> on rocks and shoals is that one Jed Zia on that one as well, but she was injured the whole time. Yeah. She's, she's basically in the, in the Kike position, but she doesn't yeah. die. That was because Terry Farrell couldn't take the heat and uh, she just couldn't deal with it. And uh, they ended up basically writing, they ended up kind of writing it where she could stay out of the heat and inside more. And she didn't have to have as many outside scenes because she hmm. just couldn't, she couldn't take it because, um, and then there were some 
some on the staff were like, well, we have to deal with this outside weather. Why can't she? But she was pretty much, um, there were some issues going on where she was pretty much thought she was going to faint and not be able to handle it. Because as you say, even standing outside, those those scenes, like a, a five-minute recorded scene could be, you know, 30, 40 minutes of actual standing out there. Oh, yeah. And More than that. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, let me get a... Oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I'm just going to get a comment from Matt. It's been sitting there for like 10 minutes. I think the moral of the lack of trust kept them from coming to an agreement is undercut a bit mm-hmm. by the fact that nearly all mm-hmm. the mistrust came from the Dominion side. What do y'all think? Hmm. I think uh, that's a good point. I agree. What do you no, think I, about that? Veronica, yeah, I, mean, uh, I don't know that everybody mistrust each other on the Federation side, but there was a lot more conflict than you see in a typical episode, a typical, right. episode, you know? Yeah. So I think everyone was sort of, um, everyone was heightened. I don't know that they missed they, that they mistrusted each other, but um, I mean, the, the Federation, I mean, they're, I mean, they, they were stealing a dominion ship. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like that, I guess they're, they're salvaging it, but mm. I mean, they, they knew who that ship belonged to when they seized it, you know what I mean? And they also, know what they're doing. Yeah. Also, Veronica, Matt, Matt just said that the whole point at the end where Cisco said, basically, if we had all trust, maybe if we had trusted each other a little bit, Matt said that that statement was undercut by the fact that basically the Dominion was untrustworthy. Because I kind of agree with that. I don't know if Cisco could have trusted. I mean, she lied from the no. start. Said. And then she 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 um, she tried to uh, do an in run. So and actually do Vorta really keep their word if they say they're going to keep their word? No. Would she have let them go? No. But I think he's. I think what he's saying is that it 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 undercuts it because the bad guys are the ones that are acting untrustworthy or untrustful, right. not the Agreed. good guys. Exactly. You know, yeah. It wasn't a matter of we didn't trust each other. It was a matter of you didn't trust us. Right. If you had just told us what you were looking for, we would have, you know, turned it over to you. But I yes, did you know. like. I did like that at the end where, where Cisco, when he realized what it was that they were after, he said, of course I wouldn't have killed it or, or whatever, you know, it was just one of those, you know, if you, if you think that of me and of us, then you don't know us. I don't think, uh, I don't, I'll, I'll say this. I don't think that had Cisco discovered that the founder was there. I don't think that he would have given it over. And I also don't think that he should have given it over because that's your bargaining chip. Yeah. Right, and you've right. you've got a founder hostage, right? <laughs> you know, as the enemy combatant, right? Yeah, and also I was thinking about this. Even if the Vorta kept her word, let's say she, because she said, you know, although I find it weird that you would give a ship to the enemy, uh, although the the founder's yeah. god. Let's let's say she fully intended to keep her word. What was to stop the founder even sick? Just saying, kill them all. That's it. In the story, the founder yeah. tells her to go on her word. She kills them all. Yep. And right. the founder sure as hell was the founder sure as hell was not going to let them. Uh, assuming the founder could have been saved, the founder sure as hell wasn't going to let Cisco and crew go, no matter what the Vorta had told them she was going right. to do. So, oh. what a. Um, I also thought it was interesting when they said all the Jim Hadar killed themselves, mm-hmm. and my thought was Vorta, you need to go ahead and kill yourself. There's no way I can see that she's going to survive. I'm sure that her clone was activated when she got back. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Because the founder died on her watch. Yeah. Yeah. End of story. Yeah, true. The the Jim Hadar killing themselves, too, I think is a product of the the 42 minute runtime being. Oh, yeah. At that point, you know what I mean? Like, we need to wrap this episode up. We've got two minutes left. 
Okay, yeah, the gym are killed themselves. Let's all go home. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. I thought it was touching at the end when Worf, I would assume, made up that Klingon ritual of sitting with a body. Because we know that Klingons don't sit with bodies. Because as soon as a person dies, they say it's an mm-hmm. empty shell. That's right. And they have never shown, even with Kalar, that's not what they do. The sh- right. Once the person's dead, the, the, sh- the body's a shell. So I assumed he made that up so he could yeah. sit with Brian. And I thought that was really touching scene. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Maybe so. I, I liked that it gave them some resolution at the end. Yes. Me too. Yeah. Yes. I thought that was very good. All right. We're ready to All move right. over to Voyager. Voyager. Yes. Talk about Timeless. Timeless. Yes. Timeless is a cool episode. I like yes, Timeless. Yes, it is. Really good. It is so good. I mean, even just the first time, the first time watch, I remember that I, th- I think it was even in the promo of the Voyager crashing on that ice planet. Yeah. And that was back when those kind of special effects were sort of new to Star Trek. And it was just like, yeah, the Voyager's crashing on an ice planet, you know? It still yeah. looks good. It still yeah, it looks does. really good. Yeah. Yeah. And those uh, scenes where you just can barely see it underneath a sheet of ice. Yes. Oh, so cool. My, I, I want to know that they just took the, the, the existing sets, you know, and mm-hmm. iced them over basically and made it look like they were snowy. I wonder how long that took and how long it took to clean them up to film yeah. the next week's episode. <laughs> right. If you're the guy who has to spray it down with whatever and then clean it back up so they can film next week. <laughs> right. Exactly. You're complaining the whole time. <laughs> exactly. Oh, just cover it with eyes. No problem. <laughs> right. I love I love that scene where he reactivates the doctor and has just got no time to explain to him. He's just like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Been, everyone's dead. It's been 15 years. Come on, get your mobile emitter. <laughs> right. <You know? laughs> like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> that is really good. One thing I one thing I do like about this episode is um it uses you know the two two of the most underused characters, of course, Ensign Kim and Chicote. Yeah. And it was so nice to be able to see those two basically carry the entire show and get some dramatic acting because those are the two who are the most underused and especially Garrett Wong to be able to carry. Yeah. So I thought that was I thought that was yeah. really good. I thought they did a, a fantastic job. Yeah. And especially on something as important as your hundredth episode, if you're going to do a, something special yeah. for your hundredth and you're going to give it to the junior most member of your crew. Right. I think that's yeah. really cool. And I think he yeah. was just fabulous in that episode. Right. Yeah. Right. I, but he always is. He always is. So. Yeah. Here's a question I had. Um, Chakotay and talking to Janeway said literally, and I, and I think, and I obviously Tom Paris had it. Chakotay said, if this was any other engineering engineer, if this was anywhere else, we wouldn't try this. So should Chakotay have tried harder to talk Janeway out of this? Because he told her going in, this was a risk. Um, but she basically did the whole, are you with me, Chakotay? And yeah. then got up and kind of rubbed the shoulders. And he's like, okay, I'm always with you. <laughs> but he's, um, not. But he, he's not always with her. No, he's not. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I wonder, should he, have, should he have fought a little harder? Because he, yes. he, he was not comfortable with this. Yeah. You think so? Because- they had yeah. a, the whole thing was kind of ill conceived because they had a big christening ceremony and have a party and break the bottle and <laughs> so they're like, yeah, we're all gonna die. I thought, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, Is could he not simulation first? Thank yes. you. Could he not have said something before they gathered the whole crew in engineering and broke a champagne bottle? Yes. I mean, could, it. come on, that was. He's like, oh, the ceremony's over. Now we have to tell people that it ain't gonna work. 
Come on. Where was the R&D on this thing? They just had the idea and smashed a bottle and let's go. (laughs) Yeah, because you're right. Because after the the party, Tom ran 23 straight simulations and every one of them ended in disaster. Right. Right. There was zero simulations before the party? Right. They had to have. I mean, yeah, that that part does not make any sense. No. And also, as you say, I think uh, when I was listening to it, uh, Kim said that they had 17 seconds lead, uh, time lead between when he got the calculations and he got to send it to the ship. 17 seconds. That's mm. a long time. It is a long time. Yeah. <laughs> but not what they were doing. And boy, oh boy. And then, and then um, um, I, uh, following what you were saying there, uh, Charles, about the simulations, then when they do the first one, Kim is sitting there basically trying to pump himself up. I can do this. You can do this. I'm like, holy crap, dude, seriously? I can do this. I can do this. I got this. Uh, this is not the time to be acting like that. Um, nope. When your ships and, you know. Right. I, I do like that they're building on the episode where they found the Dauntless and they're building on that technology. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. I mean, they're yeah. still to this day building on that because the, the Prodigy is using that same, uh, same storyline. You know, yeah, the, right. Like, slipstream technology, on right, the right. Yeah, because they have slipstream. Yeah, and I, I like that. I, I like that element of it. And I like, although they said that Voyager hit that planet at full impulse. Like, dude, there'd be a crater, you'd be, you'd be miles <laughs> down. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Impulse, like a fourth the speed of light. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I thought the only thing, and I, but you know, maybe this is what you show as a is you're right with human because here's the point: the 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 Voth, the the dinosaur race, they use slipstream, mm-hmm. and we saw that with just a few minutes, just a few minutes of slipstream, they travel ten thousand <laughs> light years. They right. travel ten years journey. So what you're saying, Charles, is right. Y'all could have waited a few more months, even honestly, to do more study. Right. Because you could take another three months to get it 100% right. Because in 15 minutes, you could get like halfway home, you mm-hmm. know, something like that. So I think it was a rare thing where, and this has only happened a couple of times where Jane weighs emotions. And I think her guilt just overwhelmed mm-hmm. her. And she's yeah. like, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of it. And that's happened a couple of times in the show. Yeah, I think so. Wasn't there a ticking clock on the Benamite crystals? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah crystals. that's like, right. We don't use them now. It's hard to yes. find more. Exactly. That's right. I think I it was like an hour, that. maybe never kind of a thing. Yeah. Right. Oh, because good point. Good point. Because by the time they actually did the, the real flight, they were the, the crystals were already starting to break down. Mm-hmm. So if they didn't go, that it would have been a lost thing. Yeah. If, maybe we'll find crystals again. Maybe we won't. Right. Yeah. I gotta right. say, this has this episode has one of the most disturbing and creepy scenes I've ever seen in Star Trek, and that is the removal of Seven's brain parts. Oh. <laughs> and then they were like holding them up, talking about them. It was just hanging them up in the air, like here they are. <laughs> it was really with her, cool with, with her eyeball on it and everything. It was awesome. <laughs> Literally, yeah. And they and they were kind of like when they when they looked at her body. Uh, Chicote said, "This is not a happy reunion." But after that, I didn't see a whole bunch of seven. Oh, my God, I can't believe I'm doing this. And then they were just like, hey, Doc, you got those calculations? And I'm looking over there. And like you said, Alan, literally, I'm looking at seventh eyeball and part of her brain. I'm like, that was seven. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my. That was wild. I think, though, <laughs> that, I mean, Kim and Chakotay are just sort of detached. 
Like they yeah. have to be like exactly back. all of they, our dead they, friends yeah, are they, there. We're getting this mission done. No time for a yeah. shift reunion with the doctor. Let's get this done and get this timeline fixed. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. What did y'all thought. think about LaFar- What did y'all think about Captain LaForge showing up? I love that. That was fabulous. Yes. He 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 directed it too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So he was there anyway. <laughs> yeah. Might as well. Yeah. He got two paychecks that day. That's right. <laughs> now that he doesn't have the forge on Prodigy. Yeah. 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 I always thought anyway. it was cool that the late, I forget the name that Chakotay's girlfriend, but I always thought it was cool that there's a possibility that Chakotay could still meet her. Because mm-hmm. uh, nothing happened, you know, because um, they she even said something like, we might meet again, basically, in, one, in the restored timeline. So I always thought that would have been cool. Would have, would have been interesting if they had still met and fallen in love later on. Well, I don't think they could have now, or if they did, he left her again. <laughs> <laughs> no spoilers. <laughs> I mean, if, if you haven't seen at least at the beginning of Prodigy at this point, then. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Two points. Um, uh-huh. One, Chuck, you mentioned uh, the the cool thing about the um, slipstream thing was uh, used again and is still being used in Prodigy. And that's one of the things that I thought was great about this is jumping back to our previous two episodes. That was great about the ship because that plays heavily into season six. The fact that they had captured a Jemadar ship comes back into play in season six. And I really enjoyed that. And when you're talking about uh, timelines and, you know, mm-hmm. possible futures and all that kind of stuff. Going back to our next generation episode, we have um, Tasha Yar's daughter. Isn't shouldn't she be from a timeline that doesn't take place now? I mean, they were in, it was from, inter, uh, what's it, what's it called? Yesterday's enterprise, right? which is a future that we don't have because of the change in that thing where the enterprise C was destroyed and all that kind of stuff. So how can Sela be here? Well, because they, they sent Tasha back in time exactly. and changed the timeline, but the Tasha from that parallel, from that yesterday's enterprise timeline is the one who went back and she continued to live after having changed the timeline and she was captured by the Romulans. So it's the right. yesterday's enterprise Tasha who is part of our history because she came back in time with the enterprise. Okay. Okay. So they, and so what they've been doing, this has been, this has been an issue with time travel and science fiction shows for the last few decades. There used to be the concept that it was basically one timeline. Every time you went back in time and changed it, it was the same timeline. Then over the last few years, there's the whole concept of multiverses where, you know, technically in real life, I think in way, I think quantum theory works, what with Kim and Chakotay did, is they did not save that Voyager. They saved another timeline very close to it. But to what you're saying, Alan, with the one with um, yesterday's Enterprise, it's like they crossed the streams. Yeah, they, yeah. They, 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 they jump from one timeline into the original timeline, which is why you have Sela. Okay. What I always yeah. find okay. very interesting real quickly about Sela is if you think about it, she's like 20 years old. Boy, does she rise in the ranks fast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Sela yeah. could have met Tasha Yar in season one of Next Gen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Ooh. That, that, wow. that that could have happened. Yeah, that's right. Okay, sorry. Um, back to Voyager. <laughs> yeah. Well, one I quick think, thing. Go ahead. go ahead, Charles. No, go ahead. 
I, I, I may be wrong on the episode. If I am, forgive me. But there was one episode that um, that um, Garrett Wong did. It was one whole episode about there was a planet where when people died, their mm-hmm. bodies got covered with almost like a spider web thing. And they yeah. sent them to basically a dimensional portal and they thought they were going to, to heaven. Yes. Um, I think it was that episode that he did that showed Brandon Braga and Rick Berman that he might be able to carry a show. Because, as you know, uh, Garrett Wong's entire battle throughout that entire series was respect. It was his mind getting respect for his character, getting mm-hmm. better roles, not just getting promoted. And I think it was that episode called Emanations where they yeah. said, huh, maybe he can actually carry a show. Because they went to him and they said, based on what you've done on this other show, we're going to do this show, this one show that became timeless and do it as the 100th episode. And he was excited and stunned and nervous because he rarely got to carry a show like that. Mm-hmm. And that's why he was made. And I thought he I thought he acquitted himself very well. He's very good yeah. in, that, in this episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought he did a good job carrying the show all the way back where he had that alternate timeline where he was never on Voyager. And he was in, he woke up oh, in yeah. San Francisco. But that was, yeah. a, that was a good one where he did a good job of carrying exactly. it. That was early in the yeah. show's run. Yeah. yeah. 100%. But I think it's fitting for these shows that, I mean, the, the next gen 100th episode is a Klingon mythology episode. Right. And DS9 is a Dominion episode. And right. then Voyager is a time travel reset the timeline episode. <laughs> you know, they sort of each of them, I think, is kind of fitting for what those shows are. Mm-hmm. I mean, next gen wasn't yeah. Klingon mythology every week, but that was a big part of it for me as a viewer. Yeah. Right. Yep, right. exactly. I really enjoy it. Um, with if, of, of the three, do y'all have one that you would say would be your favorite of the three? The ship. Yeah. Mm, I don't know. I I love Redemption so much. Redemption. Oh, Timeless is good too. Yeah, they Me are. Too. They're all three fantastic episodes. Yeah. But these are all man, strong ones. The ship yeah. is just gripping. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think it. I think it edges. It, it edges the others just a little bit. But they're all great shows. I I really enjoyed all these shows again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. All okay. right. Well, Alan, where can people find more of you? Well, uh, you could go to cosmicpress.com, K O Z M I C press.com. And that's and all you like, need to know. <laughs> you can find me on all the social media outlets Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And how about us, Veronica? Feltnerdy.com. And Monkeying Around, a podcast about the monkeys. And do you have a closing for us this week? Alon Z. What? <laughs> What? What's that mean? Oh, that's a Doctor Who thing. Yes, yes. it is. I'm wearing a TARDIS. Uh, and it, and it, it's French, and it mean it, it translates into "Let's go." <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at EarthStationTrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.